Describing the typical response to being badly hurt by someone and the result, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. When people do horrible things to us, it is so easy to want to hate them and be bitter toward them and see them in the worst possible way. It's easy for us to jump in with our own hands, which really represent our fleshly desires, and go in and take control of things. And so we don't give place to wrath. We don't give God a chance to work. We jump in and make things worse, not better. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You People will let us down and hurt us at times. It's then we have a choice to make. Will we forgive them or not? It's been well said, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. We'll be encouraged in the direction of forgiveness today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Learn how to deal with an enemy while guarding against bitterness. So turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Here now to open our discussion with a proverb and then define a key term is Pastor Ed. I love this proverb. You can jot it down. I didn't ask you to turn there. I just want you to hear it. It's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. It says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When your ways, when my ways please the Lord, then God is able to make even our enemies to be at peace with us. And we'd like to see that more often, wouldn't we? We'd like to see this come to play more often in our lives, to have less and less enemies, to have less and less opposition, to have less and less in those interpersonal types of scenarios where we're at odds with people. We want peace. That's our heart's desire. I hate the idea of enemies. I hate enemies in general. Just to think of the concept of people that we don't get along with or that we could so easily fall into the trap of having enemies. I mean, you could even say right now, when you think of someone you say, I hate enemies, Ed, I can't stand them. And that hatred, you know, if you're not careful, might even spill over to the person. What you're saying is not the idea of enemies, but if you're not careful, you might start to think, I hate that person who happens to be my enemy. And maybe you might even try to wrestle with me on that. And say, but Ed, if you knew him, you'd hate him too. I'm like, no, 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 no. I I don't want to go in that realm either. To have enemies and to be at odds, you know, they're talking behind our backs. They're hurting you on purpose. They do everything in their power to make your life miserable. And you just hate it. And you may just hate them. I mean, you might even be so caught up in the whole scenario that as you search through the scriptures, your, your heart is, God, there has to be a place somewhere in the Bible where I can hate my enemies. There's got to be some place where you give me permission just to have an all-out assault on them in retaliation for what they've done, and you won't find it. We use words so often that sometimes we need to look them up. In a dictionary, just what's the definition of an enemy? And so I looked up the word enemy, and it's, Defined as a person who is actively opposed to us. A person that's actively hostile to another person. 
opposition and hostility. Not easy to deal with, are they? I mean, when it comes to enemies, there's got to be an exception for us, right? There's got to be an exception for me in my situation. There's got to be a special class of there's got to be a special class of people that I fall into when it comes to enemies where I don't have to be like everyone else. I can handle them on my own, but there's not. And the topic of enemies is never a fun one to cover because the spiritual battle and warfare in a room like this right now is getting you all off track. And you just got to come right back and focus on what God's word has to say. Don't focus on the enemies or what they've done or what you're even under right now, but allow the spirit of God to speak to you. What are we supposed to do with our enemies? How are we supposed to respond? Romans chapter 12, verse 14, the very first word, what does it say in your Bible? Bless. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So there is a positive side of responding and a negative side. The positive side, bless them. The negative side, the thing not to do is curse them. Bless, don't curse. And it really is a heart matter. He goes on to some other things here. He says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. And those, you know, we could take those out in and of themselves, how they would bless us in the congregation. But in light of, in light of this topic of enemies, listen, he says, rejoice with the enemies that are rejoicing. Weep with those that are hurting. Be like-minded. Don't be high-minded. We've looked at all those in depth. Associate with the humble. Don't associate with people who are going to fire up your flesh. Don't be wise in your own opinion. You know, when it comes to relationships that are broken and they might be a relationship where you consider someone your enemy, you start to be all wise about it. Like you all, you got it all figured out. You know everything, and I know everything there is about to know about everything, and that. And so we start to get wise in our own opinions, and we just, no, no, no. And then verse 17, he gets back into some practical things. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, you might want to circle that. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, verse 19, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, you might like that. We'll, get, we'll explain that in a moment, okay? Feed them and give them something to drink and don't worry about burning their head, all right? We'll get to that. And then he says, this is kind of a sidelight for us. He says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Powerful, powerful instructions. I'll tell you, if you've ever experienced people treating you badly, it almost always feels like evil is going to triumph. You get into a situation where it seems like you never get any slack. Things never seem to go your way. And in the midst of it, you're like overwhelmed with the fact that it seems like the person on the side of evil is getting away with everything and you're just not going to get any kind of equity, any kind of justice. It's constant. It's continual. They keep taking you back to court. 
You're not able to see your kids. You're getting the, the raw deal in the divorce settlement. Your boss just keeps choosing sides and keeps laying things on you and it's over and over and it's to the point of evil. Your, your parents, they don't love Jesus and they take advantage of you. They make fun of you over and over and over and over again. There's just evil surrounding you. It's all over. And the Bible says, bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It's been said that evil triumphs, but it never conquers. Amen? Think of that. Evil triumphs. There's times in life where it appears that evil has made some inroads, but Jesus has conquered evil once and for all. And evil might triumph a little right now, but God can use it and direct it to a good end. For those of you under evil right now, remember earlier we were told to hate what is evil, to, to abhor it, he says, cling to what is good. And now these are the practical outgrowths of how it responds. How do I deal with people when it comes to evil? How do I deal with people when they're actively opposing me? How do I deal with people when they are actively, when they are actively hostile toward me? And you can break them down if you want to look at them again real quickly. Verse 14, bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil, verse 17. If possible, as much as you can, live peaceably. Be the peacemaker, verse 19. Don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath, verse 19. Verse 20, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. Thirsty, give them a drink. And then don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what are we to do? To be a blessing. Not to take things in our own hands. Go the extra mile in helping them practically, in loving them. I mean, just, just taking that in, it sounds so incredibly impossible, so far beyond the realm of what we're able to, just way out there. I mean, Ed, you're talking about enemies here. And if we were just taking away, not the big picture, not just the word enemy, but you started to identify what enemies have been doing to you, what you've been enduring, what you've been dealing with. Well, let's flip over and let's listen to Jesus speak to us. Flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are not to respond in the flesh, but in the new nature that is ours in Christ. Our response to evil is a whole new way of living. As Jesus takes us deeper into these areas practically, it's a call to radical, different living than you and I may be used to. It's not like anything we're used to or know how to do or how we might have even grown up and how we've handled things in the past. It's a fresh way. And Jesus opens up, notice verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And you have to ask yourself, where did they hear that? Who taught the people to hate their enemies? You know who it was? The religious rulers of the day, the oral traditions of man. Because you go through the scriptures, you're not going to find any permission to hate your enemy, but when you have and surround yourself with spiritual leaders that might say something you like to hear, you might latch on to it and go, even though the Bible doesn't teach that, I sure like that one. I'm going to hold on to that. And so they heard it. They've been taught it. Love your neighbor. The Bible's clear. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible is clear on that. But to, the permission to hate your enemy is not in the scriptures. And that's where Jesus starts. He caps their attention because this is what's going on. Everybody has enemies. 
To one degree or another, everyone's at odds. That just happens from time to time. And so he catches their ear, he catches our ear, and he says, here he corrects it in verse 44, I say to you, you love your enemies. You want to circle that one? Put that on your calendar right there on your refrigerator. Put that up on your mirror when you get up in the morning. Love your enemies. That's what he says. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. That's a hard one. <laughs> Is Jesus flat out? He just flat out. There's people that might hate you. Do good to them. Pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Verse 45, so that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Love them. That's the heart of God for our life. Love them. Love your enemies. Heap blessings upon them. Pray diligently for them. Don't allow their anger, their bitterness to invade your life and take you off guard and offend you. I mean, this is radical living. It is crazy living. And it's possible living in the power of the Holy Spirit. How much time have you wasted on your enemies? How much time have just gone through your hands like sand spent dealing with enemies? trying to do the exact opposite of what we're instructed. A lot of time is lost there. How is it that Jesus can hang crucified on a cross and out of his lips and his agony and his pain and the, the horribleness of the crucifixion, he says what? Father, get him. We wanted to say that. Just get him one last time. Just send some angels and wipe them out. Don't you see what they're doing to me? No, he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He says, verse 46, this is Matthew 5, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? It's easy to love the ones that love you, all right? It's easy to love, hey, I love you, I love you too. Let's just love together. And we have no problem loving the people that are lovely. We have no problem loving the people that are like us that have our same likes and share our same dislikes and see things generally the same way, it's very easy to love them. But what good is that? Where's the reward there? Don't even the tax collectors, he's talking, that's a phrase, kind of a euphemism of the day, unbelievers, tax collectors, rebellious against God, don't care about people. Don't even the unbelievers do that? Can't the unbelievers, don't you know, I know so many people that aren't saved that have upright moral lives. And they know how to love each other and take care of one another in their community and in their families, but they just haven't gone that one step in that love of Jesus Christ. Don't the unbelievers do that? Of course they do. If you greet only your brethren, verse 47, what are you doing more than anyone else? And, and, and I like to say, keep this in context. Jesus is saying, hey, Christian, hey, Christian, hey, those of you that are abiding me, those of you that love me, those of you that I have saved, those of you that are following me, hey, what more are you doing as a believer more than unbelievers if you're just hating your enemies all the time and cutting them down and trying to take them out and taking vengeance into your own hands? He says, don't even the tax collectors do that? Verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that perfection is ours as we walk in the Spirit, just walking in him day by day. The love that Jesus is speaking of here is the agape love, the supernatural, unconditional love that flows through Jesus to us and through us. Does God approve of what sinners are doing? No. But does he love them? Yes, he died for them. 
He died for them in the midst, just like he died for us in the midst of our trespasses and sins. The Bible describes us, apart from Jesus Christ, as enemies of God. And as we as his enemies, he loved us, reached out to us, reached down to us, sent Jesus to us. A couple of things, if you're taking notes, these things trip us up in, when it comes to enemies. Number one is the idea of revenge. One of the reasons why believers don't love their enemies is because they love revenge more. What am I talking about? What does the Bible speak of? Revenge literally means, listen, the action of afflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. Getting back. That's what revenge is. It's not forgiveness. It's the antithesis of forgiveness. It's I need to have revenge. I'm going to get revenge. Why? Because they hurt me. And I want them to hurt as much or just a little bit more than I do. And revenge trips up many a believer. And we fail to obey Romans 12. We fail to obey Matthew chapter 5. When people do horrible things to us, it is so easy to want to hate them and be bitter toward them and see them in the worst possible way. It's easy for us to jump in with our own hands, which really represent our fleshly desires, and go in and take control of things. And we'll go back to Romans chapter 12. The opposite of Romans chapter 12 is exactly what happens. We want to take things in our own hands. And so we don't give place to wrath. We don't give God a chance to work. We jump in and make things worse, not better. When you and I seek revenge and try to get our own way, we make things worse, and it trips us up. When he says, beloved, verse 19, it's as clear as it can possibly be, right? Beloved, like, it's almost as if Paul knows how heavy these words are, and he pauses to say, I want you guys to know I love you. What I'm about to say It's not because I don't love you. It's not because I don't care. It's not because I don't agree with the pain that you're going through. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to pretend it's not. He's not saying any. He just wants, hey, guys, listen, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place. Get out of the way and give God a chance to work. And don't jump in and try to take it into your own hands and avenge yourself. You'll only mess it up worse. You know, when you and I take things into our hands, when we jump in and we fail here, when we don't acknowledge that God says vengeance is his, ultimately vengeance was taken toward our enemies. You know where? On the cross. We may not see equity this side of eternity. Things might not line up. You just got to settle that right now. It's like, well, you know what? I'll be okay. I'll be okay if God will take care of it right now. I'll give him place if I can see it. Would he let me see it? (laughs) I sure would like to see my enemies get what they deserve. And your heart's all messed up. It may not happen this side of eternity. Equity. Justice. You might be wronged many, many times over. As much as as you're able to live peaceably with all men, they may not want to live peaceably with you. But as much as under your control, don't avenge yourself. But here's something. When you and I seek revenge... I want to show you something that's happening behind the scenes. Some of you can relate. Some of you don't even realize this is what you're doing. But turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. When you and I seek revenge, when we don't bless, when we curse, when we, when we try to inflict as much pain to our enemies as possible, something's going on in your heart. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but something's going on in your heart. It's happening. And what's happening is every time you and I try to take something in our own hands, we start to be a gardener. If your heart was looked at as a garden and taking revenge makes you a gardener, what you're nurturing and what you're fostering in your heart is bitterness. You might think, if I get my way, I'll feel better about it. No, 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 it only feeds your bitterness. It doesn't eliminate. See, the antidote to bitterness is Jesus Christ and him crucified. His blood, his forgiveness, his goodness washes away bitterness from our hearts. He's able to help us endure, to take the pain for his sake. But when we take things in our own hands, we become a garden. We begin to nurture bitterness. Other great things like love and joy and peace and patience, we don't nurture those things when we take revenge. We'll draw your attention to verse 14. Notice, in Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Many become defiled. You see, our attention is always, there's always a battle for our attention. Will it be on our lives, what we can control, or will it be on someone else's life that's attacking us and hostile to us, and, and which way will we go? Because if we're looking at our enemies, trying to take care of business, avenge ourselves, bitterness is being fed every decision. We often talk about this root of bitterness that messes you up and it hurts you and it stifles you and it stunts your growth. It does. Bitterness will always mess you up. Bitterness will always dig down deep. It'll shine on, on every decision that you make. Out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaks. It'll come out of your mouth. Bitterness will mess up your relationship with people that you like not just those that you don't like. But I don't want you to miss verse 15 because it's not all about you or me. At the end of verse 15, he says, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled by your bitterness. Your bitterness affects other people. Many around you become defiled by your root of bitterness. It defiles many. First, it starts with you, and then it just starts messing up people around you and close to you. You're just hurting yourself, but you're also hurting those around you. The bitterness turns into pessimism, turns into sarcasm, turns into depression, despondency, hopelessness. And do you don't think that stuff affects the people that love you and care for you and want to help you and want to walk with you? It does all the time. And all this over an enemy that you can't control. All this because there's people in your life that God has already told you how to deal with them. Bless them. Don't curse them. Don't try to take revenge. The negativity, the sarcasm, all that stuff, it dirties you, but also it dirties your kids. It dirties your friends, your family, the people in your home fellowship. It dirties people. It soils them, if you will. It defiles, bitterness does. And where does bitterness exactly come from, according to verse 15? It's a great verse to study, good one to memorize. It's interesting that it says in verse 15, look careful lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. So falling short of the grace of God brings bitterness. 
You've been listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in the midst of a study in Romans. If you'd like to hear it again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Then look under Quick Links. We also offer the program by podcast. Another way to listen to Pastor Ed's teachings is through our mobile apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora, and you'll be able to download both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Thanks for your support of Abounding Grace. It does make a difference. Your donation today will help us present God's Word over the radio tomorrow. We're consistently receiving wonderful reports from listeners of how God is using the Word to help them grow by God's abounding grace. You're helping to make that possible. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you Pastor Chuck Smith's book, Love, The More Excellent Way. We say and sing that love makes the world go round, that love is the answer, and that all you need is love. But what is love? And if it's so popular, why does it seem so hard to find? Allow Pastor Chuck to lead you to the answers in love, the more excellent way. Please call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you just like to make a donation and aren't interested in the resource, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. What is the remedy in our battle with bitterness? Join us for Abounding Grace next time and find out. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.